You're listening to the Mission Church Podcast. Each message comes from our Sunday morning gatherings where we worship in community, study God's Word, and grow in our faith together to the glory of Jesus Christ. The Mission Church is committed to helping each person belong and believe and to equip them to embrace the call of God upon their life. We pray these messages will build your faith and encourage you today. All right, now though, let's jump into a Bible study and uh, invite you to open your Bibles to John chapter 1. And the ushers are in the aisles. They'll be passing them out. You definitely want a Bible. If you are new here, you want a paper Bible, it's better than a digital Bible because you can write notes and you can circle things and and you'll grow a lot more. So uh, get your Bibles open to John chapter 1. We are in a Christmas series, the second week in our Christmas series. Uh, The series title is The Omnipotent King and His Kingdom Eternal. The Omnipotent King, the All-Powerful King, and his kingdom eternal, a kingdom that does not end. And Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And last week, we looked at the birth of Jesus from the human perspective. As we looked at Joseph and Mary, these young teenage couple who were just ducky in love, right? I mean, just smitten with love. Young love is so fun. And they got engaged. And uh, they do uh, engagement. They do courting like we do here at the church. Uh, No premarital relations. Uh, That is something for marriage only. And they were engaged. And they were excited. And they were looking for their wedding day. And during their espousal, Mary brings some great news to Joseph. Hey, I'm pregnant. And Joseph is heartbroken. Oh my gosh. And he considers in his heart how he can put her away privately without making a public spectacle of her because he loves her. Uh, He doesn't want to shame her. And while he is praying over these things, we looked last week, God comes to him in a dream and says, Joseph, lineage of David, son of David, this is what was promised in the scripture. The Messiah is going to come through Mary. And Joseph takes her and marries her. And uh, uh, they cannot believe that God had chose them. God changes Joseph's heart like that. And this is the Christmas story, right? And, and uh, a, a decree is ordered where the whole world is taxed and Mary and Joseph have to go to Bethlehem. And they go to Bethlehem to be registered. And there they give birth to the Messiah. Uh, These wise men come from the east, we looked at last week. These were dignitaries. These were rich, powerful men, uh, well-educated, nobles. Uh, They come with a whole entourage, uh, uh, bringing all kinds of gifts and a treasury, security guards, tinted windows on the camels. I mean, just the, the whole entourage coming to worship this king. And they travel 1,400 miles 
They've been inspired by God, the Holy Spirit moving upon them. They see a star in the sky. Jo, uh, uh, Daniel, the prophet we looked at last week, had, had taught these magi 600 years in advance. He had taught a school for the magi, and they knew the prophecies of the Messiah, and they come looking for him. And to their amazing surprise... They travel, plan it for months. It takes four to five months to get to, to Jerusalem. They get to Jerusalem, and to their major surprise, no one is, even knows where the Messiah is. They came, and they were expecting to have a stadium full there to worship the Messiah. They were expecting long lines to be even hoping to be able to see him, and instead, no one even knows where, they, where they, he is. Excuse me. So they go to King Herod. Herod, the king uh, of, of Jerusalem, powerful king, and they get audience with him, which shows you how powerful and wealthy and how much of uh, these were dignitaries, right? I mean, they get office with Herod. And Herod calls all the PhDs together of religion and says, uh, hey, find out. Where is this Messiah to be born? The reason is because Herod himself was a Jew. And he knew some of the ancient prophecies of this Messiah. That he was going to be the king of all kings. That he would be the final king of all the earth. And Herod felt like his kingdom was threatened. So he calls the PhDs together. They gather together and they open up the scrolls. They read the Bible. They read the prophecies that have been given by God from the beginning of time. And they said the Messiah is to be born in Bethlehem. And so these magi, these dignitaries, they leave Bethlehem. Excuse me, they leave Jerusalem to go to Bethlehem. And they go searching for the Messiah. And God leads them. The star reappears and they come. And to their amazement, Bethlehem is a dirty, dumpy, dirt poor town with little shacks that are called houses and poverty abounding and homeless people all over the place. No place for a king. No place for royalty. And certainly, no place for the Messiah to be born. The Messiah who was promised from the beginning of time. And with awe and wonder, they come to him wondering, why here? And in that story, we looked last week, God is revealing something about himself to us. Our God is a selfless God. And he came to meet us on our own terms. What kind of king born in a dumpy place like that? Well, the kind of king that wants all to have access to him. Royal dignitaries can come to him. And so can the homeless pauper in the street. All are equal in God's eyes. And God wants direct access Man to have direct access to him. So he's born in Bethlehem. And they come in and they worship him with gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And we see these prophetic gifts. And uh, they uh, go back and, and, and Herod says, oh, 
uh, where, where was he, right? And, and we see that Herod is a devious, evil plot on his heart. And he murders all the children in Bethlehem from two years old and, young, and younger, all the male children. Uh, and all the districts near Bethlehem murders all of the children. Why? To protect his own kingdom. And we learn something in this. The kingdom of the Messiah, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven is a non-compulsory kingdom. You don't have to be in it. You can refuse it. You can go against it. And Herod, like many today, refusing to say, I know Jesus is the king, but he's not my king. Herod had built synagogues. He was a religious uh, a quasi-religious man and uh, he had built synagogues he had built the temple but he said Jesus is not my king and many are saying the same today and we saw last week it begs the question it leads us to this purpose it leads us to this thesis point of the Christmas story is Jesus your king why would his kingdom be non-compulsory let me ask you, does the IRS give you a choice about paying taxes? It's a mandatory kingdom. Is Jesus not far greater than the IRS? Why is his kingdom non-compulsory? Here's why. His is a kingdom of love. And he only wants those who understand his love and choose to love him back. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, or that God himself would become a man, that whoever would believe in him wouldn't perish, but have everlasting life. And if you would believe that God so loved you that way, your heart would be moved and you would receive. This is his kingdom. This is what he invites us in. And so this morning I would ask, I would just remind, is he your king? Uh, what does it look like if he is your king? Well, you have to ask yourself, are you under his authority? Do you value what he values? Do you love what he loves? Do you hate what he hates? Do you uphold what he upholds? You see, Jesus is a king and his kingdom is at hand. And presently, we are either in his kingdom or we are outside of his kingdom. There are no other options. You are either in his kingdom or you are excluded from his kingdom, there are no other options. And so is he your king? Uh, we looked last week that we saw this birth of a couple, this birth of the Messiah from this young couple. We saw the birth from the human perspective, right? Uh, there's a verse in Isaiah written 700 years before Jesus became a man uh, that would prophesy these things. Isaiah 9, 6 uh, uh, Powerful Christmas prophecy, right? Uh, let's read it together. Isaiah 9, 6. A thundering unified voice. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. Let's pause there. Two aspects. Did you see it? Unto us a child is born. That's our perspective. God's perspective? A son is given. Oh, today we're going to look. Last week we looked at the child is born. Today we're looking at. A son is given. 
Let's read this again, and let's uh, uh, see what this prophecy is. Unto us a child is born. Read with me. Unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Some powerful adjectives describing who this Messiah is. He's called the everlasting father. Oh, that means that the Messiah is who? He's God. There is only one who is everlasting father. There is only one who is the, uh, the, the, the ancient of days. Uh, that is God. And notice what this says. The government will be upon his shoulders. That means he is going to be a king. And the rule of the world will be upon his shoulders. We are longing for that day. Uh, right now, uh, he is still sovereign over all things, but we do not see him ruling as king. But the day is coming. He is going to return, and he is going to rule and reign a kingdom of righteousness that will never end. And the verse describes that. Look at this. Next verse. Of his increase, of the increase of his government, and of... <laughs> Let's try again. <laughs> uh, read with me, because apparently I can't read. Uh, <laughs> Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Drink this in, really digest the words, think about them. The increase of his government and peace will never end. And he will sit on the throne of David. David was long gone. David was 1,000 B.C., right? Uh, this verse was 700 B.C. So this is 300 years after David. And Jesus was 1,000 years after David. But he, what is he saying? Well, David was the ruler of Israel and the king of all the earth. Israel was in its zenith, and Israel was the strongest nation of the world. They were the world power. And he's saying, that kingdom is coming again, and of the increase of his government, there'll be no end. Uh, he will establish it with judgment and justice. And don't you long for that day when righteousness will be established on the earth again. And it will be from that time and even, how long? Forever an eternal kingdom that will not end. Jesus is coming back to rule and reign on the earth, praise God, and he will rule and reign during the millennial reign of Christ. And this verse promises that. And I love how this verse finishes it. The zeal of the Lord of hosts, the Lord is capital, Yahweh, Jehovah, Jehovah God will accomplish it. It is his zeal. I love that song, uh, uh, a great hymn, This Is My Father's World. And let me never forget that although the wrong seems oh so strong, he is the ruler yet, right? Uh, the world is crazy, is it not? Can I give you great comfort this Christmas? The world has always been crazy. <laughs> Jesus came into a world that was trying to kill him from his birth. The world has always been crazy. There's always been evil leaders and the light shines in the darkness, right? And, and we're going to be looking at that today. So be of good cheer. Um, uh, 
Here we're, we're looking at the gospel of John. Today we're going to be looking, uh, unto us a child is born. We saw that last week. Uh, this week, unto us a son is given. And we'll look at that in John 1. Uh, we're looking at the birth of Jesus from God's perspective. John, by the way, this is the apostle John. This is the disciple John, one of the 12. And the book of John was written about uh, between 80 and 85 AD. So it is the oldest gospel. All the other three gospels were all written at 60 AD. So this one is significantly later. And when John writes this, he's an old man in his 80s. And he is the only living disciple of the 12. The only living apostle, I should say, still alive. All the other apostles have been martyred for their faith. John saw his brother James martyred. John saw Andrew skinned alive for his faith. Can you imagine? John saw Peter crucified upside down after they killed his wife right in front of him before they crucified him. John saw Paul beheaded. And John is the only apostle alive. We are reading a book. We are going to read a chapter here by a man who knew Jesus intimately. For Jesus had radically changed John's life. John knew Jesus as a friend. And John knew Jesus as God as the Messiah. He had an incredible relationship. Uh, John was one of the 12. He was also one of the three. One of the three? What do you mean? You'll remember there were times when 12 was just too many, and Jesus would take three into smaller little areas, and John was one of those three, Peter, James, and John. John was one of the three that Jesus took into the room when Jairus, the synagogue the pastor, if you will, had a daughter who got sick and died, and the pastor had no power to do anything about it. And his daughter dies. And Jesus goes and comes into his house and takes John with him and says, Arise, little girl. And she comes back to life. John was the one who Jesus took up on the Mount of Transfiguration. And he saw Jesus in all his Shekinah radiant glory, illuminating uh, the same glory, kind of glory that he has on the throne. The miracle of miracles, by the way, was not the transfiguration. The miracle of miracles was that Jesus didn't look like that every single day. That's who he is. That's what he has looked like from eternity since eternity, right? Always uh, the radiant glory of God. But the Bible tells us that he emptied himself of that glory and he became a man. He didn't empty himself of his deity. He emptied himself of the radiant glory so that he could dwell among us, right? And, and he revealed that to John. John saw that. Oh, this was a close relationship. Uh, John was there at the cross. Jesus hanging on the cross, looking down and speaking to John. John, behold your mother. And mother, behold your son. Jesus commissioning John to be the 
covering, the authority, the, the one that would take his mother in and care for her, to honor her, uh, which is why John lives so long. Um, John was there at the empty tomb. Uh, special relationship. John knew Jesus, and we're reading a book by a man who knew him intimately. Intimately, Jesus had radically changed John's life, and John had seen Jesus radically change multitudes of people's lives. Not only people's lives, but the world itself. He saw Judaism get changed by Jesus. He saw the church get born and, and become uh, what it is today by Jesus. Isn't it awesome to be a part of a church where Jesus is moving and, and working and where the intimacy and the love is just so clearly there and people are growing? Well, John saw the birth of the church. And John saw the very world, uh, uh, Rome turned upside down, and the very world turned upside down by Jesus. And so John is going to tell us about this Jesus that he knew firsthand, this Jesus that he walked with. And as he writes to us, he doesn't begin with the birth of Jesus, with the genealogy of Jesus like we looked last week. John begins at a different place. John begins with eternity past. With Jesus always existing, uh, very profound. Uh, take a look. Uh, let's read John chapter one. Are you there? Bibles open. John one verse one. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word what was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was nothing made that was made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Uh, verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and full of truth. Uh, as John writes, uh, we see how profound these words are. He is showing us that the origin of Jesus wasn't at the birth, wasn't at the incarnation, Jesus did not come to a, in, in, into existence at the incarnation. John is telling us that he always was. He is the eternal God. Uh, how many of you are parents who had that awkward and difficult talk with your children about the birds and bees? Uh, uh, do you remember that? Uh, I have four kids. I remember that. You know, they're getting of that age, and you think, okay, well... Uh, and you have that talk. Uh, it's awkward. Uh, how many of you, uh, even more awkward, remember your parents having that talk with you? Uh, uh, that was awkward. Uh, chances are, as you prepared yourself to have that talk with your children, you thought about your words extra carefully. You chose them very selectively. 
You premeditated how you were going to communicate this, these truths. Why? Well, not because you don't understand how it works. No, you have full grasp of how it works. You're a parent. But because you want to speak to these, your children on their level in a way that they can grasp and understand. You want to make sure that you present it in a way where they can receive it. And may I say, enter into John 1.1. This was John's heart. This was his desire. How do I talk to you about these things where God was 100% God and also 100% man? How do I share such complex things? This is how he chooses to do it. In the beginning was the word. The word, the Greek word, logos. It means the authority. It means the substance. It means the divine revelation. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God and the word was God. You see, in this story, he begins, uh, in these first five verses, John reveals who Jesus is. And the first thing that he reveals to us is that Jesus is eternal. He is the eternal God. In the beginning was the word. That takes us back to Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Uh, before, what do you mean in the beginning? What does that mean? He's talking about before creation. Before the universe was made, in the beginning was the word, the logos, the authority, the substance, the divine manifestation. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Uh, the Bible gives the best cosmogony of any cosmogony. Cosmogony means the origins of the beginnings. Uh, the world has a cosmogony. What is it? It's called a Big Bang Theory, right? Where there was this Big Bang. Okay, well, what Big Banged? Something had to Big Bang. Uh, and so we say, well, there was this matter, and this matter big banged. Okay, well, then that doesn't do anything, because now we need to know where'd the matter come from. The Bible's cosmogony is the only cosmogony that deals with the absolute origins of existence. And we looked at that back when we studied Genesis 1. What does Genesis 1 say? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, yeah, that's time. God created time, space, and matter. Heavens and the earth, right? Time, space, and matter all came into existence at one time. We looked, we studied, we saw time, space, and matter are a continuum. What does that mean? It means they all three had to come into existence at the exact same time. Because you can't have uh, matter without space. If you did, where would you put it? And you can't have matter without time. If you did, when would you put it there? So time, space, and matter, all three have to come into existence at the same time. And that's exactly what the Bible gives us. That's the cosmogony of the Bible. In the beginning, time, 
God created the heavens, space, and the earth matter. Time, space, matter in the beginning. And what John tells us here is that Jesus was before all of that. In the beginning was the word. Before any of that was created, Jesus, he's eternal. And notice what else he says. Uh, uh, He says in verse 3, take a look. All things were made through him. You might want to underline all things. What does that mean? It means all things. Uh, Everything was made through him. All things were made through him. And without him, nothing was made that was made. Uh, Well, that's a little Dr. Zeus repetition, but he's trying to be emphatic. Listen, he made everything. And that's his second point. Jesus is eternal. He is the creator of all things. This is important because I want you to know at Christmas, we need to realize that the majority of the world thinks Jesus was a good man. That Jesus, he was a good teacher. That Jesus, he was a moral leader. I want you to know something. That covers about this much of it. Jesus is eternal. He is the creator of all things. And you cannot reduce him to a good teacher and a moral leader. Jesus did not give you that option. Neither does the Bible. Uh, It definitely tells us that Jesus is God and that he is the creator of the universe. And you say, I don't know, uh, Pastor David, this might just be poetry here. Uh, You know, maybe it's just nice words. No, no, no. All through the Bible... The Bible teaches that Jesus is God and the creator of all things. Uh, Colossians 1.16 on your screens clearly defines it. Uh, Here it is. Read with me out loud, a unified voice. For by him, that's Jesus, all things were created that are in heaven and that are on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones, dominions, principalities, or powers, All things were created through him and for him. Let's look at this for a moment. Uh, All things were created that are in heaven. Heaven means the universe, the sky. The heavens declare the glory of God. The sky, the stars, the moon, the planets. The universe was created by him and everything on earth. Then he says something really weird. Both the things that are visible and the things that are what? Invisible. What the heck? Could it be that there's a parallel universe of spiritual beings that we know nothing about? Could it be that there's angels and demons, spirits in the world? Could it be that there's a visible world and there's an invisible world? Well, the Bible absolutely teaches those things and it alludes to it here there are thrones and dominions principalities and powers these are descriptions of the invisible things do you realize that god created angels and the bible says that some of them fell and they became demons and god gave all of them dominion and power and different rankings and different abilities just like he's given all of us different giftings and abilities and those uh principalities and powers these spiritual beings are very much alive and well right and uh, there's a work that's going on and he created all things and it says all things were created through him and this is fascinating all things are created what for him you were created for god
God delights in you. You are his creation. And all creation is his. And I want you to know something bizarre. On the highest level, even Satan is just a servant of God. And in the end, God will bring all things according to his purposes. And we will see the story after it is told and go, oh my gosh, that was brilliant. Well done. And I know right now, a lot of times we look at some of the evil going on in the world and we're going like, what the heck? Where are you? But I promise you, uh, you can probably already see this happening in your life. You look at things in the rear view mirror and you have way better understanding and you're like, God, thank you, right? Uh, The story of redemption is an amazing story and this is God's story. All things were created through him. All things are created for him. Let's go to the rest of the verse. And look at this, and he, that's Jesus, is before all things, and in him, that's Jesus, all things consist. Or uh, some other translations like the ESV say, all things are held together. Uh, Consider the complexities of creation. Have you ever pondered what keeps the planets spinning? Why does the earth spin on its axis so precise that you can measure it for hundreds of years and it does not deviate by milliseconds? How do you explain that? What keeps the planets orbiting around the sun in this gravitational pull of the sun? Why do they not just get sucked into the center and collide? Science does not know. The answer is, he holds all things together. Uh, Nothing runs by itself. Uh, God is outside of time. God has done incredible things. And these planets are running on their circuits in precise patterns for millennia. Do you know that we can date back the calendar 2,000 years and know on any given night exactly where the moon was? How do you explain that? Well, because these system is that precise. He holds all things together by his son, uh, excuse me, by, his, uh, by Jesus. Uh, uh, consider the sun for a moment. The sun is burning unfathomable amounts of energy. Do you know how hot the sun is? It is 29 million degrees Fahrenheit. Think about how much energy it takes just to heat your house from 50 to 70. And you get an SDG&E bill that just went up 20% again because it takes a lot of energy. Well, how much energy does it take to keep the sun at 29 million degrees? So that is just the perfect distance from the earth to keep the earth at a perfect temperature for carbon-based life. How do you explain that? And the sun is producing through fission... uh, Unnumerable amounts of, of energy being consumed so that it can heat to 29 million degrees. And it's been doing it every second of the day since time began. Can you fathom? Do you know how big the sun is, by the way? Uh, just consider, uh, you can fit 1.3 million Earths inside of the sun. Uh, 
He holds all these things together by his hand. And oh, fathom the depth of God's intelligence and the weight of his glory. Jesus is the creator of all things. And so we learn Jesus is eternal. Uh, He's the creator. All things were made through him. Without him was nothing made. Verse 4 tells us something interesting. Look at this. In him was life. And that life was what? The light of man. What does that mean? Well, it means that Jesus is the source of life. So Jesus is eternal. Jesus is the creator of all. And Jesus is the source of life. And you say, Dave, that seems redundant. For if Jesus is the creator of all, then of course he's the source of life. Fair enough. But the Greek vocabulary is more descriptive than the English vocabulary. And so as we look at the word life here, we find something interesting. Uh, In uh, in Greek, there's uh, multiple words for life. I want to point out your attention to two of them. Uh, One of the words for life, uh, translated life in English, is bios. Bios. Uh, We get our English word biology, right? The study of life. Ology is study. Bios is life. Uh, Bios, life. There's biological life. There's also a word called zoe. Zoe means the absolute fullness of life. So if you take your family on an amazing vacation and you're having so much fun and you say, hey kids, this is really living. Let me ask you, are you talking about biological life or Zoe? Which one? Zoe. Zoe. Well, guess which word God uses here in his scriptures for in him was life. Which one do you think he uses? Zoe. Zoe. He already said that all things were created. Uh, That was... uh, Point number two. Uh, Point number three, in him is life. And that life, the word, is Zoe. Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. That's John 10.10. Let's put that up here for a second. John 10.10, look what he says. I have come that they might have life and that they might have life more abundantly. Guess which word Jesus used for life right there? Zoe, I have come that you might have meaningful existence, that you might know the love of your creator, that all things were created through him and that all things were created for him and that you might understand how much he delights in you and what he had in mind when he created you. Hey, as a father of four, I know this. I had a desire that I would... uh, Pour my love into my kids in hope that they would one day understand how much I love them and they would want to be in relationship with me. And I'm just a man, a selfish man. And Jesus would say, if, you're fa- if you being selfish know how to give good gifts to your kids, if you being a rotten sinner knowing how to give good gifts to your kids, how much more your heavenly father knows how to give good gifts to you. Oh, that you would grasp what you were created for. And this is what Jesus, uh, John is trying to explain to us in the basis of terms. In him was Zoe, life. And that life was the light of man. Uh, uh, Jesus would say it uh, this way as well in Luke 12. Uh, he, Jesus said to them, take heed and beware of covetousness. 
For one's life does not consist in the abundance of things he possesses. Uh, what word for life did Jesus use there? Bios or Zoe? Zoe. Hey, be careful. You're more than biology, Jesus is saying. If he used the word bios, he would say, well, yeah, I mean, your bios is completely dependent upon your clothes, your house, your shelter, your food. Uh, that's all there is to life. But Jesus is saying, no, 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 there's more than that. Uh, be careful. Don't be foolish. Don't just be a biological creature. Your life is so, so much more than that. One's, bi one's uh, zoe does not consist of the things he possesses. Uh, so Jesus, he is the eternal. Jesus, he is the creator of all. And Jesus, he is the source of life, a source of Zoe, the absolute fullness of life. Now, I want you to know something. Apart from Jesus, you are spiritually dead, the Bible teaches. So am I, apart from Jesus. You are spiritually, in other words, you have no Zoe. You're dead. And uh, life is only in Jesus. We have bios life apart from Jesus. Uh, well, not even that apart from Jesus, but it's possible to have bios life. Uh, and you know what happens when we only have bios life? Do you know what, what we find? We're longing for what? Zoe. We're longing for Zoe. And we're looking for it everywhere we go. We're lonely. We're wanting more. We think that getting more will do it. So I got to get this house. I got to get this job. I got to get this paycheck. I got this, I, you know, I make 50,000. I need to make 60,000. I make 60,000. I need to make 100,000. And we make 100,000. And what do we find? Didn't do it. There was no Zoe in it. Okay, well, I need 150. And it just, it never stops. Never stops. And here's something very interesting. We're looking for Zoe, but we're trying to find it in bios, and it cannot happen. Do you understand? We're looking for Zoe, and we're trying to find it at a bar, and we're trying to find it on an app. We're trying to find it in materialism. We're trying to find it in sexual pleasure. We're trying to find it in going on a vacation. We're trying to find it in bios, and it cannot be found. Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary of trying to find Zoe and being empty and broken, and I will give you life and life abundantly. Wow. This is who we are speaking of. This is our creator. He is amazing. He is uh, incredible. And this is what he is. He is the eternal God. He is the creator of all things. And he is the one who gives the source of life, uh, abundant life, uh, Zoe life. The eternal God became flesh. And can I tell you something, church? This is what Christmas is all about. He came to give life. And that life was the light of men. Now, let's look at verse 5. Let's unpack this. Let's digest this. Verse 5 says, the light shines in, well, let's go to 4. In him, that's in Jesus, was life. And the life, the zoe, was the light of man. Interesting. It's what illuminates us. And the light shines in the darkness. And the darkness did not what? Comprehend it. 
I want you to circle that word comprehend. It's a powerful word. In the Greek, it is katalambano. Uh, everybody say that with me. <laughs> Don't laugh. Uh, say it with me. Katalambano. It's a powerful word. It means comprehend, uh, like understand. It also has a dual meaning. It also means um, to overpower uh, or to uh, uh, prevail. Uh, and notice what it says. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not cotalambano, did not understand, and also did not overpower or prevail. Interesting. And both meanings are accurate. It is a divinely chosen word with dual meaning on purpose. I want to look first at, and if time allows, we'll look at the, the overcome or the prevail, but I want to look first at the understand. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness did not comprehend it. What does that mean? Uh, what is he telling us? What is John trying to speak at our level that we can grasp? Well, let me put it in other words for you. Our bios flesh cannot comprehend the things of God. That's what he is saying. He's saying our bios flesh cannot understand it. What does that mean? Well, Jesus offers us Zoe life, but we don't understand it. And because we don't understand it, we choose something far less that we can understand, but cannot give life. And so we're looking for life, and we go after it here, and we go after it here when Jesus is offering it all the time. Why? Because we cannot comprehend what he's offering. It just goes over our head. And this is illustrated so clearly in the scriptures. Jesus comes on the scene. He is God among us, the long-promised Messiah, the one promised from the beginning of time. And even the religious leaders could not comprehend it. It just went over their heads. There was a man named Nicodemus. He was a powerful religious leader, well-respected in the community. And he saw Jesus doing all these miracles, healing the blind, healing the deaf, causing the lame to walk. This is what he does, by the way. He heals our blindness. He gives us ears to hear. A heart to understand. A wife that you're about to divorce. And suddenly, he opens your eyes and opens your ears. Uh, he's amazing. And Nicodemus is watching all of this. And he goes, man, surely God is with him. But his religious sect was going... He's not one of us. Therefore, he's a bad guy. And Nicodemus is torn in between these two positions. And so he goes to Jesus at night. So none of his peers will see him going. And he comes to Jesus and he says, what, what must I do? To go to heaven. To enter into the kingdom of God. And Jesus gives him a credible answer. One that is kind of shocking. I have it for you on your screens. John 3. Take a look at this. Jesus answered and said to Nicodemus, unless you are what? Born again. Born again you cannot what? 
see. What's the verb? See. What's Nicodemus asking? How do you enter the kingdom of heaven? Jesus says, let's forget about entering for a moment. Let's just talk about what? Even perceiving it. Nicodemus, you can't even perceive the things of God unless, what? You're born again. Born again? What does that mean? Well, you're proving my point. And so is Nicodemus. The natural man cannot understand, cannot comprehend the things of the Spirit, the things of God. The light shines in the darkness, and what's the problem? The darkness can't comprehend it. You want to see how glaring it looks? Look at the look what Nicodemus answers. Nicodemus said, "How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter in a second time into his mother's womb and be born?" Everybody say, "Ooh, gross! Uh, what are you, a fool?" Uh, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can't even understand it right over their heads and Nicodemus illustrates this truth for us Jesus is offering us life and yet we're going to bars and we're looking to make more money and we're doing all trying to impress trying to the light shining in the darkness the darkness is an understanding Uh, Jesus says no 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 I don't want you climbing back in your mother's womb Uh, verse 5 Jesus answered and said, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Jesus is saying there's a fleshly birth and there's a spiritual birth, and you have to be born again. Let me ask you, what does he mean unless you're born of water and the Spirit? What does he mean? What is water? What is he talking about? I'm hearing a lot of baptism. Can I tell you something? That's not what he's talking about. Yes, baptism is important, but that's not at all what he's talking about. Here's what he's saying. Unless you're born of water, unless you have a physical birth, when a woman goes into labor, what happens? Her water breaks. Unless you're, unless you're born of water and you also have to be born what? Of the spirit. There's a physical birth and there's a spiritual birth. And just like the water breaks and the physical birth comes, well, there's a move of God and the spiritual birth comes too. That which are born of flesh is flesh. And that which are born of spirit is spirit. And you need to be born again. Let's go on the rest of the verse. Jesus says, now, do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. When Jesus taught spiritual truth, his listeners misinterpreted what he was teaching because they could not comprehend it. And they would hear what he is teaching and they would interpret it in a material or physical way. Why? Because the light shines in the darkness and darkness could not what? Comprehend it. It's not possible. Christmas is about God becoming a man to purchase our redemption. What could be more glorious? But because we are so spiritually blind and because we are spiritually dead, 
We cannot comprehend this. And so what do we do with Christmas? We make it about something else. Anything else. Let's make it about presents. Let's make it about fun. Let's make it about parties so we can go and get drunk over and over and over again because I don't know how to do life apart from alcohol. So let's just get together and get smashed so we can make it through tomorrow. And we make Christmas about something else. Well, I just make it about presents. Let's, let's go on. Why? Because the light shines in the darkness and we're not understanding it. I want you to think about this. God comes to us in love. The long-promised Messiah. Promised from the days of Adam and Eve in the garden and from every single prophet ever since. They all spoke of the coming Messiah. Even Enoch in the Garden of Eden preaching about Jesus. And all these prophets from the beginning of time teaching about Jesus, the Messiah. And the Messiah finally comes in love to purchase our redemption. And what do we do? We try to kill him from the moment he comes onto the planet. We try to kill him at his birth. And we try to kill him Every single day of his existence up until his crucifixion. He would have been killed a million times over before his crucifixion. He, Jesus says, no one takes my life from me. I lay, I'm in control of when this is going to happen. But we tried to kill him from the moment he came to us. Why? Because the light shines in the darkness and the darkness simply didn't understand it. Why did we try to kill him, by the way? What was his crime? Do you know what his crime was? He claimed to be God among us. He claimed to be God. You say, no, the Bible doesn't say that. Oh, it does over and over and over again. His crime, they killed him for one reason and one reason only. He claimed to be God. Uh, I'll show you some verses. Uh, John 10.10 10. Uh, let me hear you read this with me. I and my father are one. Let's stop there. What's he saying? If you've seen me, you've seen God. Me and God are one. We are one in the same. I and father God are one. And we'll read the rest of the verse now. What does it say? Then the Jews took up stones again to stone him. Again, they had tried numerous other times. What did we kill him for? For being the Messiah who was promised from the beginning of time, who was God dwelling among us. Uh, here's another verse for you. John 8. Jesus said to them, most assuredly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. What's he saying? 
Uh, yeah, Jesus was trying to bring them salvation. He was trying to bring them abundant life. He was trying to say, come to me and I'll give you, a book, you, know, I'll give you Zoe. Uh, and the other saying, hey, are you greater than our, prophet, than our father Abraham? And Jesus says, listen, before Abraham, I am. I am the tetragrammaton from the burning bush with Moses. Uh, I am the eternal existent God. And they took up stones to stone him. Why did we kill him? This Messiah finally comes to us and we kill him for being God who came to redeem us. The light shines in the darkness and darkness did not understand it. You say, well, maybe he was a, a bad dude. I mean, maybe he had some bad messages like, um, you know, maybe he was just causing too much disruption. Okay, well, let's look at his message. What was his message? Well, it could be summed up in two commandments. They are, number one, love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And number two, way to go, Georgie. Love your neighbor as yourself. Uh, well, man, that's sinister. Let's kill him for that. No, we didn't kill him for that. We killed him because he said he was God. The light shines in the darkness, and darkness doesn't understand it. It doesn't comprehend it. And I have also good news. It doesn't prevail over his mission. It doesn't overcome him. For he works all things together, even when we are stumbling in sin. He brings all things together for our good, because he is a sovereign God who is that far above us. There's none like him. Uh, the light shines in darkness, and darkness does not understand what he is doing. It cannot comprehend. And this is why we must be born again. And this is why Jesus became a man, so that we can be, be born again. And Nicodemus was confused. How are you born again? Well, good news. John is going to tell us, verse 6, look what he says. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. Uh, that's not John, the author of this book. That's a different John. This is John the Baptist. The Bible had promised, the Bible had given prophecies that when the Messiah comes, he will have a forerunner that comes before him that tells the whole world that he's coming. That was John the Baptist. John did his job. He, before Jesus came, he told the world that the Messiah was coming. Uh, this man, uh, John, John the Baptist, came for a witness, to bear witness of who? The light, the Messiah, God in the flesh, that through him, through John the Baptist, all might believe. He, John, was not that light, but he was sent to bear witness of that light, John came to be a witness saying, hey, the long-awaited Messiah, God in the flesh, is coming. Get ready. What was his message? Repentance. You knew this. Repentance. What does repentance mean? Repent. What does it mean? Well, repent means to turn from doing life our way and to turn to Jesus. Put that repentance slide up for me, if you will. Uh, that's what repentance means. It means to turn to Jesus from doing life my way to doing life his way. Repentance does not mean clean up your act, improve yourself, get your stuff together, try harder, 
Contribute to society. Stop global warming. It doesn't mean any of these things. Repentance means quit doing it your way and come to Jesus. And that was John's message. John was a witness. I want you to know, Jesus was born in Bethlehem so that homeless paupers who could not clean themselves up could come to him. You don't clean yourself up and come to Jesus. You come to Jesus and get born again, and he cleans you up and changes your life. Big difference. And that is the difference between religion and Christianity, and they are night and day. Uh, John was a witness, and Jesus has many witnesses. Do you know what I am? I am a witness of the light. Do you know what you are? You are a witness of the light. We're going to do that on our Christmas Eve service. It's beautiful, right? And when you go out into the world, go be a witness of that light. Verse 9. That was the true light. Jesus was the true light, which gives light to every man coming into the world. I want you to underline the words, every man. Who receives the light of Christ? Every man. The, many people will say, well, what about the pygmy in Africa who never hears about God? God would say, there is no such pygmy. All have heard about me. God gives his light to every man. How does he do it? Well, through creation. The heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament shows his handiwork. Day and the day, they utter speech to the pygmy in Africa and to every person on earth. You have a powerful creator. God reveals himself. He, he, he shows light to every man through creation. He also shows light to every man through something called moral law. When you cheat, when you lie, when you steal... Your conscience convicts you. Do you know what that is? That is the light of God. And it tells you, hey, you better get right. The Holy Spirit also gives light. There's a day coming. You're going to live. There's a judgment day. He convicts the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment to come. And so uh, he give, God gives light to every man that comes into the world. Look at verse 10. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. Isn't that staggering? He was in the world, Jesus made the world, yet the world did not know him. It is staggering to, to ponder. And when we say the world did not know him, who is John talking about? Who is he talking about? He's talking about humanity. He was in the world, and humans did not know him. But I want you to know something. All of creation knew him. The cosmos knew him. The demons knew him. Jesus would speak, and the demons would say, Oh, son of God, have you come here to torment us before our time? What's that? They know there's a judgment day, and they know they're going to be sent to hell. Do you know there's nobody in hell right now, not even demons? But they know that day is coming. The demons knew who he was. Not only did the demons know who he was and tremble at his authority, 
But the wind and the sea knew who Jesus was. There was a mighty storm on the Sea of Galilee. The disciples, experienced fishermen, were freaking out. We're going to drown. Grown men crying. And Jesus, they wake him up from asleep, and he simply says, peace, be still. And the waves and the sea obey him. And the disciples worship at his feet, going, who is this? This is God. Uh, Wind and sea knew who he was. The fish certainly knew who he was. They go out fishing and catch nothing. Jesus would speak the word and multitudes of fish would swim into the net. The fish knew who he was. The molecules of the universe knew who he was. He could come to a blind man and put mud on his eyes and those molecules would all obey his command and that man would see. The dead knew who he was. Lazarus come forth. And from the underworld, Lazarus, there he's back to life. Everyone knew him except mankind. He came into the world and the world did not know him. Oh, how amazing. Uh, Look at this though. Look what he says. Verse 11. He came to his own and his own did not receive him. No, they rejected him and hated him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God. To those who believe, I want you to circle believe. Believe, believe what? In his name. Uh, What does it mean to believe in his name? Well, we'll look at that in just a minute. Who were born, that's born again, not of blood, not of physical birth, nor of the will of the flesh. Well, I'm going to improve myself. I'm going to be a better person. No, didn't, weren't born again that way. Weren't born of blood. Weren't born of the will of the flesh. Nor the will of man. I'm going to try harder. No, nope, that's not how you do it. But you're born again of what? God. Born again by the power of God. And so here we see uh, uh, as many as received them, received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God, to those who believe in his name. I want you to know something. We are not children of God by birth. We see protesters, we see people, well, we're all children of God. No, we're not. Yes, we are. No, we're not. Want me to prove it to you? Why do we have so many laws? Why do we need so many laws? Why do you need a law that says, hey, don't steal, don't rob a bank, don't rape, don't, uh, millions, don't murder, don't, right, on and on and on. Tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of laws. Why do we need those laws? Here's why. Because we are not children of God. We are children of sin. We are children of Adam. Our nature is against God. That's why we cheat and lie and steal. We are selfish, sinful children of Adam. We are not children of God. Let's be honest with ourselves. When someone cuts you off, you are not a child of God. You are a child of the flesh, right? Uh, We want to be worshiped man we want to be first on everything right the only way to become a child of god is to be born again and you say well how do you do that well john has just told us 
There are two things that we need to do to be born again, and they are very simple. Look at what he says. But to as many as, look at the two verbs he says. But as many as what? Received him. That's the first verb. As many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God. To those who, second verb, believe on his name. So two things, receive and believe. Receive. What does it mean to receive him? Well, to receive means to accept something that is given to you. You just have to accept it. You may freely share this message with others as long as you don't charge for it. Support for these broadcasts comes from your generous donations that allow us to give away our materials for free. To participate with us, please visit our website at themissionchurch.net. God bless.